Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Later in the show, we'll hear from Alex Hurst, who's chair of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, whose work we have been praising so much lately. And I think, Kieran, it's safe to say we've just interviewed him now. It's one of the best interviews we've done for quite some time. He was very measured and just gave the impression of a man who reluctantly now had to spend his time dealing with politicians and the Premier League and club chairman rather than just being able to sit back and moan about how bad his football team is. Yeah, um, and let's face it, the reason why we get involved in football is to moan about our football team. (laughs) Clearly, we we do know better because we know better because we're fans. Uh, yeah, Alex was uh, Alex was superb, and, and uh, he's a credit to uh, I think to everybody in in the northeast. Yeah, and uh, look out, as I think football fans who support every other club in the world, apart from Newcastle, will still find it a really good interview. And what I liked about him is that he talked about the fact that you know football should transcend rivalries, and then got a really clever little anti Sunderland dig in. <laughs> really, really clever. I like that. Um, so, Kieran, it's, it's Newsday, and guess what, Kieran? There's lots of it. Um, <laughs> um, talks have taken place over the creation of a new European Premier League. It seems like we've been throwing that sentence around since last October, isn't it? Yeah. The thing is, these talks have been taking place for a, a long, long time. And I think it was a very careful uh, reveal, a very careful leak to the press that uh, took place earlier this week, uh, hot on the heels, of course, a few days after Project Big Picture. Um, Looking at this, it actually dovetails, to no great surprise, with Project Big Picture. Um, The the aim of uh, PBP was to uh, slim down the Premier League and get rid of the Carabao Cup. And hey, presto, if you do that, as if by magic, every single uh, weekday becomes available to, ah. for something to slot into. So um, the, the full details of the uh, the World Football League soccer ball conference, whatever it's going to be calling itself, haven't come out. But we know it's going to be apparently somewhere between 12 to 16 clubs, I think, is the aim. And they're going to play each other home and away. So that's going to be potentially 30 league matches then it goes into a knockout, so it, it'll be a bit like what we see in, in Rugby Super League and things of that nature. So that could be another five games. So you could have uh, you know, 35 games taking place in, in this competition on top of 34 games in the Premier League itself, on top of the FA Cup, and then you've got internationals to throw into the mix as well. And remember, the architects of Project Big Picture said, oh, the reason why we're slimming down the Premier League and getting rid of the Carabao Cup is to improve the chances of England winning a competition. So it just goes to show what a great pile of dung uh, was uh, was being spouted by by its cheerleaders. So, so this will be a global Premier League, Kieran, are you saying? Not, not just a European one? It will be. It will be. It's it's by invite only. Um, oh, okay. It, it, it is. It is European. I think to begin with. Apparently, it's being funded by J.P. Morgan to the tune of around about four point six billion pounds. So I think that's to sort of set up the the initial sponsorship, TV deals, and things of this nature. Now, if it's by invitation only, um, you, you could perfectly see why it w- might be useful to have a. Uh, a club from New York, uh, a club from Beijing, uh, uh, yes, a club yes, from yes. Tokyo and so on, because that's going to add to the appeal. Um, and then 
as more and more bits drip out uh, very, very slowly, you find out that uh, this apparently has uh, has been the, the brainchild or endorsed by FIFA. Now, if you take a look at FIFA's finances, FIFA make money one year in four and they lose money three years out of four. And they're yeah. very, very jealous of UEFA because the Champions League is an incredibly successful competition from a financial point of view. It, it delivers bums on seats. It delivers eyeballs. It's got huge commercial partners. And um, the the people at the top of FIFA, they wanted to expand. Uh, you might remember the World Club Championship to 24 Indeed. clubs. And that's never really generated much traction. So this is an alternative um, to that. Um, and if it increases the power of FIFA and decreases the power of UEFA, then you can see why uh, the, you know, the people in FIFA will be absolutely delighted if that went ahead. Yes, but uh, it's, it's kind of timely then that UEFA have said that the prize money for Champions League and Europa League games will be lower for the next five years. Well, it is, but that's you know, that, that's a direct impact of COVID. Um, the, what, what we've seen is as a result of um, two-legged matches becoming one-legged uh, at the end of last season, um, as a result of uh, people having to be refunded significant sums of money uh, in respect of tickets that they'd already bought for the final. And remember, UEFA are also having to give uh, refunds to people who ask for them in respect of Euro 2020. Um, UEFA is is got a bit of a, a black hole in its finances. And rather than take that out against all of the clubs that have taken place in last year's competition and this year's competition, they, they've decided to spread the pain over a longer period of time. Having said that, um, we, we are seeing more and more that uh, perhaps you know, the golden goose, which has laid so many golden eggs in the, in the form of TV rights, is is starting to dry up because um, the the holders, the rights holders in, I think it's Singapore and Malaysia, which is the uh, zone or DAZN, I'm never quite sure how to pronounce that. Mm. Um, they've they've walked out of their deal with UEFA, uh, and my understanding that uh, that Bay In have taken their place and are paying somewhere around about 10 to 20% of the, the former price. Now, if you, if you put that in line with what we've seen happen in China uh, in terms of the Premier League deal, have, have we reached maximum um, as far as the, how much the broadcasters are beginning, willing to pay and, and the viewpoint that there's this ever-increasing pot of gold uh, in terms of TV money, um, I'm, I'm not sure that that's, that viewpoint's got much merit anymore. Now, Kieran, you had an early Christmas present this week. In fact, I'd say it's probably a Christmas and your birthday rolled into one because Manchester United's latest set of accounts have been published. Uh, although I predict next year's accounts will show shirt sales are right down because that zebra kit is a monstrosity, isn't it? They, they need to do something about that. But what do the latest Man United accounts uh, show us? Um well, on the on the face of it, they they've gone from making a, you know a reasonable profit to a, a, a sizable loss, but you know that is very much on the back of uh, COVID. Uh, their their income is down by uh, over a hundred million pounds. 
Um, they, they managed to, to reduce the wage bill. Part of the reason why the wage bill went down is that players are highly incentivized to get to the, the Champions League, and, and they didn't manage that. Um, so, and, and also, they, they've not been taking money from fans, uh, you know, in, and, and they've been quite, quite active, proactive in terms of refunds. So you know, we, we've, we've said on many occasions uh, over the course of the last six months that, that Manchester United's behaviour in respect of COVID has been, you know, to, to a large extent, exemplary. Yeah. Um, which which makes you wonder why why the people at the top uh, still you know the architects of Project Big Picture when they can do so much that is good why why do they choose to do something which is is not in the interest of fans or, or perhaps that we've just answered that question that it is in the interests of owners and not fans um, I think the big issue as far as United is concerned is if you take a look at their bank balance um, that's decreased by a quarter of a billion pounds. Now, United will say, and you know, I've, I've looked at the numbers, they, they, they came out a few hours ago, that this is on the back of, of spending a huge amount of money on players last year, which again perhaps explains why they've been a little bit more cautious this summer. Um, but they, they still had cash in the bank and they still had on top of that cash in the bank an overdraft facility. So, so those people who are saying you know, the end of football is nigh and the big clubs have got to worry just as much as the small clubs. United have actually conducted themselves pretty well financially. Their commercial revenue is still going up after a bit of a hiatus. Um, and they've extended uh, their, their sponsorship deal with Chevrolet, if, if somewhat bizarrely, until now the end of December 2021. So I'm not quite sure what that means. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean they're going to get two sponsors of shirts in a single season. But uh, uh, whilst I think people will get a bit uh, a bit worked up by the by the deterioration in the cash position, other than that, uh, compared to other large clubs in Europe, they've done pretty well. Now I'm glad you mentioned billion because it re- reminded me that I was supposed to ask you this question two weeks ago because when I did the uh, marathon march for the Crystal Palace Foundation, one of the chaps walking with me in my bubble asked me what you meant by billion. How many millions is in a billion as far as you're concerned? Uh, a billion is 1,000 million. Okay, good. Yeah, so it's, it's one more than 999 million, 999,000, et cetera. Yeah, I would have got there, Kieran. <laughs> um, now, this next story I'm not happy about. I'm generally not happy about, but uh, Nottingham Forest now have an official short sponsor, uh, which is good news for Forest fans who want a new boiler. Yes, um, I think this is this is actually a sign of clubs acknowledging that they're not going to get uh, money from fans coming through the turnstiles. They they know that they they exactly what they're getting in terms of money from the TV deals. They've got shirt sponsors. Well, what else can people sponsor? Let's take a look at the shirts, the shorts. What about the socks? You know, where where else could we go? Could it could it be hairbands for some of those players that, that wear hairbands and so on? Um, so, yeah, this is sponsorship from a company called uh, Box T, who are a home tech installation partner um, for, for Forest fans. So, uh, uh, yeah, f- fair play to them. Uh, yeah, we've, we've seen sleeve sponsors, shirts spot, and so on. Uh, it, it's, it's the way forward. Um, unfortunately, if you only got to look to, at Formula One to see what can happen eventually when uh, – when you know, organisations realise that they've effectively got walking billboards um, and 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 every inch of space is available. Well, that's why I'm not happy about this story, Kieran. As far as I, it's the thin end of the wedge, uh, well, it's the thin end of the wedgie, actually. Um, 
because the next thing will be though will be will be like French football. I, I I contributed to somebody's book recently, which is an A to Z of football hates, and mine was French football shorts because I mean French kits are just ludicrous. I don't want to see kits in England going like that where every you can't even tell what colour they're meant to be. They're just covered in adverts. I'm not happy. Yes. Well, that's perfectly understandable. It's, it's, it's again. We've said it many before. It's not what we signed up for when we fell in love with the game. That's very true. Uh, National league clubs will receive ten million pound, Kieran, of funding thanks to a partnership with the National Lottery. And as you will find out when you've answered this question, this is of particular interest to me and my industry. Uh, yes, because um, originally I, I think that uh, the, the the sports minister is it Oliver Dowling. Yes, um, Dowden. Yeah. Dowden, sorry, Oliver Dowden. Um, he he had indicated that there would be financial support for the National League, and that was a few weeks ago, and that allowed the National League to, to start. Um, it, it now looks as if it's not coming directly from government, but it's coming from the from the National Lottery in, instead. Um, and when you dig a little bit deeper, um, it, it varies by club uh, based on the level of support. Now that's that has some merit. So I'm not hugely anti that. Of course, there will be idiosyncrasies. So as, as far as the National League is concerned, if you if those clubs that, that used to be members of the Football League, the likes of Stockport and Notts County, they'll be getting £95,000 a month to, to help contribute towards wages. The other National League teams will get 84. When you drop into uh, National League North and South, uh, again, the likes of Chester, who get good attendance, Dulwich, Hamlets, who we've mentioned on, yeah. on quite a few occasions, they're getting 36. And then I think the lowest tier of, of financial support is £30,000 a month. Um, if this allows these clubs to continue when, when the government won't allow fans to attend, um, then you know, my personal view is I'm all for it. Um, but why can't this be extended to Leagues 1 and 2 as well? Because those clubs are equally uh, important to, to their communities um, as these clubs in the National League. Well, that's exactly my point, because the National Lottery have caused huge ruptures in the theatre industry, especially in the West End, because they have uh, announced a scheme whereby for some theatres owned by a company called Kudos, um, some of their, oh, uh, sorry, they're, they're a pantomime production company, Kudos, so the Palladium, for example, the National <laughs> very good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm available. I'm available. I'm amazed I didn't expect that in my notes. I should have predicted that would happen. Um, but essentially, so for the London Palladium, for example, as well as a couple of the other big West End theatres, the National Lottery are paying for the empty seats that can't be used because of uh, social distancing. So uh, the, the Palladium holds about 3,000 people. There will be 1,500 empty seats. The National Lottery will pay for those seats. It's equivalent to the eat-out-to-help-out thing, and that's, and that's fine. But the other West End theatres are saying, why is it only restricted to this one particular company? It is, after all, a National Lottery. Why aren't they helping all the other theatres as well. So it's it's caused as many problems as it's, as it's solved because I, I agree with you. The League One and League Two clubs will surely be going, well, hang on a second. You know, our fans buy lottery tickets as well. Why is it restricted just to National League clubs? I, and I, I don't understand it. And also, it, it, I wonder cynically what the, the National Lottery will be getting out of it themselves because it's not something they're going to... You know, I can only assume that there will be a show from the London Palladium, you know, advertising the lottery numbers or whatever one Saturday night, because it's, it's an oddly selective fundraising scheme, which is welcomed by some theatres, but obviously annoying to others. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the inconsistency. Yeah, the nat- when when people buy a national lottery ticket, is it to pay for footballers' wages? You know, I I, I don't see that the link myself, and that's why you know, my gut reaction is it should have come directly from government because it is directly due to government policy that fans can't attend matches in the first place. Yeah, and also the Palladium is owned by Julian Lloyd Webber's group as well, so that's uh, another. Uh, anyway, we're not we're not here to listen to Lovey's complain about stuff, are we? We've, we've got football to complain about. Five years ago, Kieran South Shields FC were homeless. Now they are offering ordinary fans the chance to invest in the club uh, as they head for the football league. Hopefully, now my father-in-law, God rest him, was from South Shields, and Ali can't stand the way I pronounce it. Uh, I can't do it justice, she says, because it's not South Shields, is what she says. But, but she doesn't pronounce Fulton Heath properly, as far as I'm concerned. But there you go. But this is this is quite an encouraging story, though, Kieran, isn't it? Yes, uh, I mean South Shields. They've been promoted three times in recent years. That they're presently in the Northern Premier League. So I think they're playing uh, FC United of Manchester next week, which would have been an absolutely cracking match uh, in front of a full crowd. I mean, there, there will be restricted capacity available, I believe. Um, and what they're trying to do is to raise £250,000 um, as part of their, their aim to, to grow the club, to, to put in new stands and things of their nature. Um, and you, I think you can buy from a minimum of £12.50 uh, up to, up to you know, as much as you want. Um, and this, this, uh, this is a crowdfunding scheme. So, uh, again, it shows that football clubs and people associated with the club, with, with football, um, are thinking out of the box. You know, they're, they're not just going cap in hand to government and saying, give us money. Um, and, you know, you'd wish them all the best. And presently, of that £250,000 target, when I last looked, um, I think there were 202000 203000 That's about 81% there. So, um, you know, fair play to those people, because you know, what, what return are you going to get on your investment? Well, you know, as anybody's ever put money into a football club is concerned, you, you, you'll get memories, but not cash. Hmm. We mentioned earlier the continental TV rights. The French Football League has threatened to rip up their domestic TV rights agreement with MediaPro. Yes. So, uh, again, further evidence that have, we've, we've reached and gone perhaps beyond peak uh, peak TV. Um, the, the French Football League ha- had sold the media rights to an agency. This is a, a, a Chinese-owned entity called MediaPro, um, and the deal was worth 800 million euros a season. And what tends to happen in these things is that you, you pay in instalments. There was a 172 million uh, euro instalment due on the 5th of October, um, and it hasn't been made. And the reason is, is that uh, if, if you listen to MediaPro, oh, the, the value of football on TV has deteriorated as a result of uh, as a result of coronavirus, and therefore they want to renegotiate the contract. The French uh, Football League has said, "Well, you know, a contract's a contract. Uh, you, you either honour it or or we rip it up." And it's not been honoured. Um, but of course, this now leaves a, a huge void as far as cash flow is concerned mm. in French football. Um, the the French Football League they've already borrowed two hundred and twenty five million euros from the government. Uh, because the French government seems to be slightly more conciliatory towards football. Um, and it's uh, it's a big issue because this original agreement um, was co- covering the period 2020 to 24. 
So as we've seen with the, the Premier League and uh, PPTV in China, um, when you renegotiate, you, you're going to end up with just a fraction of the original price. And this could really hit French football very hard. They started off with my, my understanding. I think they'd they had restricted crowds. And, and, and I think that's deteriorated since then as, as sort of you know, the second wave has hit uh, many countries in Europe. Hmm. It's interview time, Kieran. And last weekend, Newcastle fans raised around £20,000 for a local food bank charity by asking those fans who could afford to to donate the £14.95 they would have spent on pay-per-view to the charity instead. And uh, just a few moments ago, we spoke to Alex Hurst, who's chair of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, about that initiative and about all things Geordie. And here's what Alex had to say. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Alex, it's lovely to meet you. We have been full of praise for the Trust in recent weeks. So tell us a little bit about what the aims of the Trust are, how many members you have, and how you got involved. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, the Trust really, it was formed back in 2008, at the exact time when you know, Mike Ashley decided to press the, you know, the, the button on Newcastle United and uh, constructively dismiss Kevin Keegan, as was later proven in court. And a, a lot of fans got together and, you know, I think supporters' trust had been knocking around for a couple of years or when the embryonic stage, uh, whereas now every single Premier League club, I think, has one and, and most a lot of football league clubs have one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Newcastle fans were early pioneers. Uh, and then, you know, there's been huge uh, ructions, as we like to say, in the northeast amongst the support um, about how to tackle Mike Ashley, uh, about how to react to his, his, his mostly disastrous ownership. Mm. Um, I was invited to be a board member back in 2017, I think, uh, and was around for about 18 months with the trust. And, and I kind of just saw an organization that really I thought could do a lot of good, but it didn't have any relationship with Newcastle United. It, it had kind of fallen on hard times. It didn't have very many members. So we kind of rebooted it at the start of 2019. I thought membership was too expensive. At ten pounds a year was the, was the cheapest membership, right. so we made membership a pound because we weren't particularly interested in people's money. We just wanted their voice uh, and wanted to be an organisation that was, you know, not not splintered like a lot of Newcastle supporters been. That wasn't kind of solely motivated by removing Mike Ashley, but was a a focal point for supporters to get involved and try and give construct, constructive feedback to the club, and if and when necessary was able to stand up to not just the club, but also get involved in the wider conversation about football and, and work with, with bodies like the FSA to try and give Newcastle United fans a voice. Because for 10 years at Newcastle United, um, it had just been kind of like little groups and little factions kind of shouting at the club, but also at each other. And we thought that the supporters' trust needed to be an almost apolitical group and body that supporters could rally around and try and make our voice louder as one rather than lots of different people shouting in the same direction. 
And how many members do you have at the moment? Yeah, we're, last month we're top 14,000, which is oh, great wow. because, yeah. I mean, when we restarted it in, back in January 2019, um, we had zero pretty much <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, and, yeah, so it, it's been all right. I mean, we as a trust, we've picked up a lot of members because there's been a lot of turbulence at the football club in terms of Rafa Benitez leaving the takeover this summer and the battle with the Premier League. But, yeah, we, we think we're one of the biggest in the country now, um, and you know we hope to make that even bigger. And it's much, it's much easier to be listened to when you're speaking on behalf of fourteen thousand. Yeah, and on your website, you seem very keen to emphasise that you are not a protest group. Why is that? Because I think in the social media social media era in which we live, I'll give you an example. So there's been various boycotts and action planned against the football club. And it's never worked. Mike Ashley is still here. The only way he's going to sell the club is if someone comes along and dumps, you know, getting on for half a billion pounds in his lap. Um, And whilst I don't discourage anyone from doing that, we just thought that, you know, every single kind of form of direct action and protest has been tried. Um, And and then it it happens and you see all this noise on social media. It happens and you get the match day and actually there's still 46,000 people here. You know, there's still 50,000 people here. You know, I walked in late a couple of years ago when Sam, there was a 10-minute walk-in and I was just so convinced that the ground, that the queues to get in the ground at kickoff would be miles long like they are at 5-3 to three, and then you get in and, and only about 2,000 people did it. And that was the end of 2018 and that's when I realised that we have to try at least and work with the football club and work with uh, higher bodies who the football club answer to, like the Premier League, to try and at least improve the lot of Newcastle United fans. Um, rather than just kind of this 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 uh, aggressive method or kind of direct action method. And the good news is there are lots of protest groups out there for Newcastle fans. So it's not like we're taken away from anyone else uh, and, and we like to work with groups and we like to assist them. So it's not a kind of us and them thing. But the, the vast majority of people who engage with Newcastle United kind of do so on a, I want to watch the team. I want to watch the team do well. Not everyone is as obsessed about trying to affect a change of ownership as sometimes you see on social media. It doesn't, I think, nearly every single Newcastle fan would want a change of ownership, yeah. but most people in their lives, football doesn't kind of dominate the central role where it does for others who think that, you know, every waking moment has to be um, behind a change of ownership. Or what can we do to make Mike Ashley's like difficult? I think most people kind of just want to watch the football. And what's your relationship with the club like? Do you have one? Yeah, um, I, it could be a lot better. Um, I did an awful lot of talking with them over six months about what the relationship would like, would look like. Came to a good agreement with with um, the SLO and with Lee Charlie, who's managing director. Yeah, and then it just has never happened. So that's really disappointing um, from our part. We do have, you know, there there is dialogue between us, but it, you know, the COVID pandemic and the takeover uh, in the summer kind of gave them a little bit of breathing space from us because they had to get the return to football right, and then the takeover was going to happen. And then after that all kind of went away, we've tried to re-engage. And it's, it's got to the stage now where, I'll give you an example, last week, you know, I'd send an email saying, this is not right. You are continuing to charge fans um, for season ticket payments. That That is not right. I got an email basically saying, we'll get back to you if anything changes. And that, you know, that's, so, so then we, we launched a public campaign called Stock, um, Start Giving Back. That, yeah. And, and then, then only after you do that do you get the phone calls from the football club saying, okay, we're going to do something about it. And that's not a good re- place to be relationship-wise. It shouldn't take a public campaign and media pressure to achieve that. You know, So it, it's a difficult relationship. I, I'm still really hopeful that there's, there's, there are people within the club in high levels who are keen to have some sort of engagement with fans, but that hope is starting to dwindle. 
yeah, we're going to talk about Start Giving Back and some of your other campaigns in a moment. But firstly, Kieran has often talked about on the pod your fans being passionate about Newcastle United, but less so about Mike Ashley's Newcastle United. Is, is that a fair distinction? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so many people, there's thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people that have completely disengaged from the football club because they're, the struggle to either give money to Mike Ashley's Newcastle United or the struggle to even support it. And there's a number of reasons for that. You know, you could probably fill a show with, with what Mike Ashley's done at Newcastle United. And, and some of it, yeah. you know, <laughs> some of it borders on, some of it is purely football, some of it is moral. I mean, my, members of my own family, uncles of mine, have stopped, not only have they stopped going, they've stopped watching, they've stopped talking about it. And that, that, that that's a pretty special thing Mike Ashley's done to turn people so against such an, an integral part of the community like he has. Yeah, especially, I mean, because we all associate Newcastle with generations of, of, of support. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Palace fan, but I'm only a second-generation Palace fan. But what you read about Newcastle United and, and what you hear about it is that it's it's like a lot of other big clubs, but it's passed down from family to family. And as you say, for Mike Ashley to disrupt that does take a lot of doing, doesn't it? Because you've... You've been going to that club through thick and thin for 120 years, essentially. Oh, very, very much so. And it's not, it's not just for, for Newcastle for your listeners who are not fami- that familiar with the northeast. Newcastle has a huge catchment area. Um, you know, pretty. I mean, I'm not going to mention any other local club names uh, based on Wearside, but pretty much down, you know, to North Yorkshire, almost up to the Scottish border. Yeah. You know, Newcastle, and even over into Cumbria, Newcastle garners a support. The, the 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 local bus services on a Saturday are full of people from those areas traveling into the city, and you've got like North Tyneside, Gateshead, uh, County Durham in that. So it's it's not it's it's more of a northeast thing. It's not just Newcastle United, and yeah, he's managed to disrupt that to a level I never thought would be possible. Yeah, I, I remember being up there for match of the day too when Shearer came back in at the end of the season as temporary manager, and I can't quite recall an atmosphere like it around any ground. What, what did you make, uh, Alex, of the potential Saudi investment and the Premier League's stubborn refusal to make any sort of response to it? Not, not a denial, not an acceptance. They just kept stum for the whole time, didn't they? Um, it was a it was a difficult time in my life um, as, as part of the trust because. Overnight, you were kind of caught in this excitement, and, and there was kind of mass excitement that I think a lot of um, international and national broadcasters misjudged it slightly in that they thought that the excitement was because of Saudi Arabian investment. And there was definitely part of that, but the, the main excitement was that Mike Ashley was going to be leaving. And right. at the Trust, we you know we just got incessant media, which is great that people wanted to talk to us and were able to represent our members. We did a survey of members um, and 96.2% said they were very much in favour of this takeover, um, which you know gave us the mandate we needed uh, as a members organisation to put that across. You know, I, I don't like speaking personally that much when I'm talking trust stuff because it is all about the members at the end of the day. Um, there, was, there was a lot of things to unpack in it. There was one, there was the human rights issue. Um, which we, we try to, to tackle as best we could uh, by speaking to people like Amnesty International, getting their thoughts on it, how Newcastle fans could help, that kind of thing. Um, but the, in terms of your question with the Premier League, we, you know, we I spoke to Amanda Staveley. It was good of her to reach out to the trust once the deal had, uh, you know, once the Premier League had done what they'd done. And we we ended up canvassing MPs. We got, well, I think it was over 8,000 in the end, 8,000 individual emails sent to MPs, mass campaign. And we got responses from 
you know, Boris Johnson's office, Rishi Sunak, loads of MPs from outside of the Northeast, basically, who we didn't even expect to get a response from, wow. who agreed with us that the Premier League had to do much better in terms of how it communicated with supporters, because this is a this is a massive, massive thing. And, you know, getting on the season ticket payments again, we had to lobby the Premier League to say, listen, Newcastle United are the only Premier League club out of all 20 not to comment on refunds this yeah. season, not, not even to like pay, not even to, just to not comment, to pretend the issue doesn't exist. And we were kind, we were told, you know, the time that you know that there was going to be new owners coming in, the current club thought, and it all been put off. But it got it had got to a stage where that wasn't a realistic response anymore. And our MP uh, campaign eventually got us in front of Richard Masters, and I'm, gr- I'm grateful for for his his time in the FSA arranged that for us at the Premier League Network meeting. They, they allowed us you know, a lot of time to talk to them about the takeover and admitted a lot of their failings and said that they were going to, um, however you want to phrase it, they were going to redo their takeover communication process in future. But ultimately, the Premier League came out and gave us a, a fairly clear answer, I thought, that was the people who were trying to buy the club had not been able to name an individual who would ultimately be responsible for the football club in terms of that you know there was a the chairman of PIF the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund was was listed by the buyers as as the as the guy who was going to run the club but the premier league believed they had found evidence that his company the public investment fund could be controlled by a higher entity at the Saudi court I still can't believe I'm I'm saying these things by the way as a football fan it's not the it's not the reason you get involved in football is it to talk about like higher entities in the Saudi royal court but but ultimately we were able at least to give some clarity to members um and we even even able to speak to the buyers who said that they didn't hadn't had that kind of clarity um to say you know basically i mean that to me was was the premier league and richard master saying we don't believe the buyers which is a which is a big thing I, I, alex kieran and i were like nothing better than to talk about football and just football i mean we spoke about <laughs> we spoke about brighton palace at the start of this pod for quite some time uh but Unfortunately, we started this podcast not knowing that all this politics and economic disaster was going on, but in a strange sort of way, it's kept us going. So we probably need to be grateful for it. Kieran, I know Alex mentioned the lack of response from Mike Ashley there about season ticket refunds, and that's something that you've been particularly energised about, hasn't it, on the pod? Um, Yes. As fans, we, we don't actually want to demand too much from our football clubs because the most important thing is that the football club is still in existence for for us to see for our kids and grandchildren and so on um, and we've certainly seen further down the EFL clubs want uh, fans wanting to give money to the club regardless of whether they see any matches this season but it is different in the Premier League and all I can say is that if the other clubs can manage to communicate from an outsider's perspective Newcastle's refusal to engage with anyone, uh, it, it just adds fuel to the fire that, that there's complete indifference as to the the personal circumstances that many Newcastle United fans are currently experiencing. Um, and also that they, they have a legal obligation to give money back. Yeah. So by not giving a timeline, um, you know, but it, it's, I, I was on Radio Newcastle last week talking about this. And, and you know, what what is the next step as far as you're concerned, Alex? Well, we got word from the club last week, and so did local journalists, that they were going to commit to paying refunds back before Christmas. And again, that's not that's nothing public, and that's nothing concrete. Um, I think we're gonna we're gonna give them maybe till the end of next week to get something out publicly. 
you know, the, the, it always comes back to this with Mike, with Mike Ashley. And, and I, I think any of his businesses, but Newcastle United, it is run on a skeleton staff. Uh, the skeleton staff that already existed compared to most football clubs of the same size, there are staff still on furlough, which ends next week, um, which again is, you know, the club have never um, publicly admitted to that, that Newcastle United has never made a statement, but everyone knows it because people know, people who work at the football club, journalists know this. Mm. Um, their box office staff who deal with all of this stuff um, are, to me, from the outside looking in, struggling to cope with the, the demands. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, you, you're quite right, and, and Kevin was quite right with what you're saying. Um, it's not acceptable when every other Premier League club has managed to do that, but we still have a lot of Newcastle United fans who not only have got money in the club this season, who are still re- waiting for refunds from last season, yeah. for season tickets and for the, the cancelled games that tickets have already been sold for. Now, I've, I've had my money back from last season, but I know lots and lots of people who haven't and who have consistently tried to... Um, you know, get that money back. So, in terms of next steps for us, if there's no movement in the next, you know, week or so, because it does take the club a long time to turn anything around, um, we will again make a public plea. But then, then we'll probably have to um, appeal to the Premier League because, like I said in the summer, we did appeal to the Premier League, and within 24 hours, something happened. <laughs> mm. um, should again, that's not normal. That shouldn't be how it happens, and I'm sure the Premier League agree with that. I know everyone hates the Premier League at the minute, and a lot of Newcastle fans do, but. They have been quite good with us, and I know they're quite good with the FSA and other supporters' trusts. Um, they're not perfect, and there's a lot to do, but they have been a, a useful ally of, of ours. Um, and we'll probably have to get political again. We'll probably have to start canvassing government and MPs mm-hmm. because, you know, with furlough ending and everything that's going on in the world at the minute and the economic hardship that there is out all over the country, it just beggars belief that, that this money... Um, is still inside Newcastle United Football Club and, and isn't back in the bank accounts of fans. Mm. Uh, that leads me on to our next question, Alex, because one, one of the themes of our pod has always been the, the social awareness and the organisational skills of, of football fans. So when you back them into a corner, they tend to come out fighting and they do it very well, which is why we were so pleased to hear about his £20,000 that you you raised at the weekend with by asking the fans that could afford to to donate the pay-per-view money to local food bank charities, which was brilliant. How did that come about? Yeah, this wasn't our campaign as the trust. I just have to have to say that. It's one we uh, supported and endorsed. Right. But I think, I think you know what, like a lot of things with football fans, it was an organic thing. It didn't come from one person. It was oh, okay. an automatic thing that sprung up uh, in retaliation because, you know, the it was a right week. I'm sure you guys covered at length, wasn't it? You had pay-per-view on the Friday announced, yeah. and then on the Sunday you had Project Big Picture. And I think everyone just thought, Jesus Christ, man, for God's sake, Like this, is, there has to be a better place for this money to go than back in to, who, who, you know, they're pointing the finger at each other. But the broadcasters of the Premier League, you know, two institutions that don't need the money. Yeah. So I think Newcastle fans, and, and, you know, now you're seeing it happen at pretty much every Premier League club. Um, I think with us being playing Manchester United in what used to be before Newcastle were rubbish, quite a big game. Mm. Um, I think that kind of emboldened people even more to think, you know what, let's let's turn away from this fixture or watch a stream or listen to the radio, whatever they did, and give this money to, to part of society that really needs it. And, and it is great. I think, you know, I think the, the figure is now 22,000. So money's Brilliant. even now still coming in as as the uh, the campaign grows. And I think everyone who who works at the West End Food Bank and the Newcastle United Fans Food Bank deserve a lot of credit and 
you know, there was there was loads of supporter groups, there was loads of podcasts, there was loads of different accounts. And just everyone was getting on it, and it uh, it's one of the rare good news stories in football this season, and it's mm. good to see it being replicated across the country. I, I can't think of Newcastle Man United without thinking of that Philip Albert goal. It's still one of my favourite goals. Some of your key issues that you're working with uh, around Newcastle fans, Alex, are about safe standing, 20s plenty, United with pride, offering legal advice for fans who find themselves in trouble at games. All things that we actively endorse on this pod. But are, are you in consultation with other clubs on these issues? Yeah, we'll, we'll work with um, all other Premier League trusts through the FSA fan network. Um, so that that's also you know Democrat. There's an FSA Premier League fan council. Mm. So we do, and we you know share resources, share information. I hope that continues. To be honest, I hope that that grows because it's been great ever since we've been involved. Um, you know, I think. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur Trust are, are very good and they take the lead and represent us. Um, you know, so that, that, that you, you, you're spot on. It, it's essential that fans start working together. And I think you see with the food bank initiative that you alluded to, that is now, you know, that is spreading across the country. You know, West Brom are doing it. Burnley have raised a fortune. Chelsea Supporters Trust today came out and did the same thing. So the more fans can work together, the better. And what, what I really like about that Premier League Trust Network is that, you know, there's no football rivalry and it you know everyone kind of puts that to one side mm. um you know you had this you know mad situation where when liverpool won the league last year everyone got in touch with the liverpool trust and said well done that shouldn't happen in football everyone's supposed to hate each other <laughs> um but it does and it, and it it is it is much better working together as fan organizations and those those issues that you alluded to there and all the other things we do you know although we have our unique issues with ownership at Newcastle United football fans in general want the same thing in this in this country you know everyone is sick of kickoff times and mm. prices when we can go to games and and, and, and you know commercialization of football lots of people hate VAR and stuff like that and we're able to give kind of combined feedback to the Premier League on this stuff whether they take any notice is a different thing but at least it's there and at least it, it's coming from a democratic place because all trusts are democratic we had our elections last week our annual elections five and a half thousand people voted which was well, brilliant I mean, yeah um so it, it does seem to be going in the right the right direction across the country on this. And one issue I was really interested to read about on your website, Alex, is the, the loyalty points retention thing. You talk us through that. Yeah, because when Rafa Benitez left the club, a lot of fans, I think about 7,000 maybe, maybe more, chucked their season tickets. Um, wow. And, I mean, you, you, that'll happen if you let a world-class manager go and replace him with Steve Bruce. But... Um, one of the things which ties a lot of fans to their club uh, and, and keeping their season ticket, a loyalty point is something you get when you attend an away game. Yeah. So uh, when Newcastle play uh, Sunderland, if Sunderland ever get out of the Northern League, wherever they play, um, <laughs> you know it, you need you'd need to have attended a hundred away games to get a yeah. ticket to that game. So that can take people twenty, thirty, forty years to accumulate, and then you know there's, there's always been that thought: oh, if I chuck my season ticket, I'll not be able to go to away games. I'll not be able to go to to a cup final if Newcastle ever got there. Um, so what we we launched was a scheme to say, right, okay, we will work with new owners when they come in. If you can prove your loyalty points when you can't see season ticket, hopefully, we can make no promises, hopefully new owners would look at this and think, you know what, these guys, these men and women who've spent 20, 30 years supporting the football club and given into it felt like they'd been pushed out uh, because of the actions of the the previous owner it would make sense that if they redeemed their season ticket to give them that, those loyalty points back because 30 years of loyalty shouldn't be um, thrown away over kind of, you know, a frustration yeah. of uh, Mike Ashley's ownership. And 
finally, Alex, we sort of hinted about this earlier in the interview, but do you still get time to actually just talk about football? Because at the moment, despite Palace and Newcastle occupying our customary mid-table positions, both Steve Bruce and Roy Hodgson are, are forever just one game from the sack. Does, does it, do, you, do you enjoy just for, say, forget the politics just for once? I'm just going to talk for an hour about Steve Bruce and how bad we were against Man United, as as we've done on our Palace podcast this week. Yeah, a very, a very long one, a very long one about the Brighton game. Really horribly lies. It's just flashing before my eyes now. But do you do you just get to talk about football when you can? Yeah, well, I have my own podcast as well called True Face. So I do the same as you. Um, but yeah, it, it, sometimes I'd rather talk politics because uh, <laughs> the, fo- the football's not good. And, and, and both of our teams this season have been absolutely battered by Brighton. Yeah. Um, but yeah. we're both above them in the league, so it's hard to make sense of. It, do you know what's really strange, Alex? That every now and again, it's almost like Steve Bruce and Roy Hodgson know they're under pressure. And like one game out of four, they'll, they'll out, out of the hat will magic a really good tactical performance, which is kind of annoying, isn't it? I don't know about the tactical performance with Steve Bruce. Uh, you know, once in every four games, Alan St. Maxima might do something special. <laughs> Maybe same with Wilfred Zahar. But, uh, you know, Steve Bruce at Newcastle, he's a, he's a, he's a hugely unpopular manager. Um, yeah. he, he he made a lot of noise about taking the club forward and we've gone backwards in almost every aspect. So it's it's a tough one. And, you, you know, you, you read in the media and we hear that this takeover, you know, our owner is taking legal action against the Premier League, which is just yeah. mental. You know, you can't even break it down into a fan of it. You know, when you speak to fans who don't know this stuff, and oh, weren't you going to get taken over? It's like, well, we were, but now Mike Ashley's, who was a member of the Premier League, is taking legal action against them. And you just think, where does it end? I wish I supported Brighton. Do you know what I mean? Because let's not end the pod on a note like that for the love. Palace or Palace. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, Steve Bruce is deeply unpopular at Sellers Park as well because he, he walked out on us uh, when he was offered more money by another club. Kieran, before we let Alex go, is is there any more news on the, the takeover situation? Because from from week to week, we seem to be saying it's, it's possibly back on and there's legal action. Do you, is your instinct that it's totally dead in the water? No, it, it, deals are never dead. Right. Um, they, they might be in hibernation. Uh, it, it's a case of getting the, the right signals from the right people. At, at present... It is not the focus of the Premier League, um, and uh, g- given what has happened, I-, I think in in the in part of Project Big Picture, which would have allowed Joel Glazer and John Henry to veto it themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah what what we have seen has been a bit of a dereliction of duty, uh, but both both sides have have got to improve uh, in, in terms of the way that they they conduct themselves, both the Premier League and uh, and the potential owners. Yeah, Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, um, notwithstanding your desire to support Brighton. We, we, I might actually be the first thing we get edited out of this pod, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. But it's been great to talk to you. Um, we're big admirers of what you're doing with the Newcastle United Sports Trust. And if there's anything we can do to publicise any of your campaigns locally or nationally, then please ask us and we will happily do so. Nice to meet you, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. Appreciate it. Kieran, I thought Alex was fascinating. I, I imagine if Alex was a teacher, he'd be one of those teachers who who'd say, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed, and he'd feel, oh, I've, I've let Sir down, haven't I? He's very measured, but quite the assassin in his own way, quite ninja with somebody. He just got in and got out and left it from point of view. But it's very interesting about what he had to say about Mike Ashley and also about trying to unite Newcastle fans 
who even now are still reluctant to to criticise the club or criticise the people that own it. Well, some are. I mean, it's, it's the nature of football fandom. It is that people take a view pro and against individual topics. I mean, you know, we've spoken to people at Bury, and, and they're still at war with each other. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know whether you you saw that there, there was a, a documentary on BBC Three, um, and and I made a a five second cameo on that. I was very impressed. It was it was my uh, probably my best five second performance since my wedding night. I would say, and um, it, it was uh, it was really sad to see. <laughs> All of these Berry fans uh, sort of fighting amongst each other when they should have been unified uh, in, in a single cause. But what Newcastle United Supporters Trust appears to have done very successfully is to be democratic, to listen yeah. to everybody and put together a, a collective uh, thought process. Yeah, I will promise, Kieran, if you ever make a five second cameo on the adult channel, uh, I will definitely watch that. Uh, and I, I imagine five seconds would be enough. I, what I loved Alex's interview, I thought was great, but also it proves what we've said right from the start of this pod. You underestimate football fans at your peril. You take them for granted at your peril. And we said this last week, Mike Ashley is a club owner who gambled on the fact that Newcastle United fans are so blindly loyal, they would put up with everything. And Alex proved that that's not the case. And, and also it's so gratifying to hear that they're, they're talking to clubs all over the all over the Premier League and they're talking to the Football Supporters Association. It's like, you you can't keep us down. We'll win in the end, eventually. I don't know how long it will take, but I, I was very impressed with that interview. But also, Kieran, I was, I was impressed with you just, just finally, because yesterday, Kieran, you got all grown up and you spoke to the all-party parliamentary group for football supporters. How did that go? Did, the, uh, did they ask after me? Did they say, we, we invited you, but we wanted the funny one? <laughs> they they did indeed actually yes um i i must confess i was i was absolutely terrified I mean, the the football supporters association um did get in contact and said uh, would i sort of do a, a sort of a financial summary of where we are in terms of football finance following the pandemic uh also to do an assessment of project big picture and you know me i i, I always try to be as objective as possible and and that that was my aim um it, it is it, it is quite intimidating. You know, I, I, I talk for a living. Uh, yeah. you know, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. Um, it's it's quite intimidating when, when you realise you, know, you you see the names of, of these people. Um, you know, and, and I've always taken the view that if, if you are nervous talking before uh, a crowd, you know, I think the secret is to to imagine them naked. But imagining Jacob Rees Mogg naked probably oh, had, had the opposite effect of of making you a bit tongue tied. Uh, fortunately, he wasn't at the meeting. Um, but yeah, it, it went very well. Um, I've, I've got to be honest, they, they, there was a Q&A afterwards and it's clear that uh, you know, many of our MPs are, are, are aware of the role that football plays as part of this, uh, you know, part of the UK in terms of culture and history and the importance uh, in terms of the feel good factor that it can bring. Um, and, and they genuinely seem to want uh, some form of change to respect that, that there should be a system of checks and balances. And, and, and as somebody said, you know, we, we've just we've just voted, you know, in, in terms of a national plebiscite for for sovereignty and and to take back control. Um, and what we have here is, uh, is is the aim of doing exactly opposite of that by handing across control of our national game to uh, you know, a, a company which is registered in the Cayman Islands and somebody from Boston. So there, there's clearly unhappiness with, with what's been taking place. Um, somebody said also that it's got very political. 
which coming from a politician seems, <laughs> seems a rather strange thing to say. Um, but yeah, I, I was, uh, yeah, I, I'll be honest. I was, I was, I was, I was honoured to be asked. I, I was, uh, I did, didn't find it easy. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we do have some very good people um, and, and they, perhaps they tend to be the quieter ones uh, who, mm. who are representing us. Um, and, and the people that did attend were, were clearly very pro football and, and pro the football supporters supporters association, who, who again I've got to thank for, for giving me the opportunity to speak. Mm. I once did a gig where the audience contained Tony Blair, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, and the Dalai Lama. That's uh, that was intimidating. <laughs> yes, <laughs> trying to trying to find material that's keeping all three of those groups happy. <laughs> that's a, three difficult boxes to tick. That was. Um, <laughs> Uh, Monday is our questions pod, as always. And if you have questions for us on any aspect of football, uh, whether it's your local non-league club or whether it's FIFA or um, Barcelona, questions at priceoffootball.com is what you want. And I shall hand you over, as usual, for Kieran to say goodbye. OK, uh, th- thank you very much, folks, for, for your support and your feedback. Um, as you know, we we, uh, we we try to get up the, the ratings uh, that allows us to have a bit of credibility when we're asking guests to come on the show. Um, but by all accounts, it, it, it doesn't matter what you, you write in that the Apple podcast app. You can, if you give us five stars, you, you can say you, you can say you, you'd rather it was uh, you know, Nigel Farage and Jim Davison uh, doing the show than myself and Kevin. It makes no difference to us. Um, and, uh, you know, that, 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 that would actually be quite an interesting show. Um, but, uh, th- thanks again. And, and, uh, more, more importantly than that, we're all going through a tough time at present, uh, pick up the phone, give somebody you've not spoken to a call, you know, they're, they're probably feeling a bit down, a bit lonely. Uh, I, I, I had a chat with somebody, uh, at the weekend and I don't know what possessed me to do it, by the way. Uh, I wasn't trying to be a good person. And then you realise that, you know, some of us are doing a little bit better than others and let's all reach out and support each other. You are a good person, Kieran. Take my word for it. And uh, I've spent time in the company of those two gentlemen you just mentioned. Uh, that would neither be an interesting pod nor a funny one. Trust me. We we would lose a lot of, lot of listeners in the first five minutes. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you on Monday. We won't see you. I wish we could see you, but we'll, we'll talk to you on Monday. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football.